That's a pretty mighty list of names now, isn't it? That's powerful. That's powerful. Right in the list of names, translated out, you get the gospel. Man is appointed mortal, death, and sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing comfort. That's the gospel. Right there. God doesn't do anything randomly. Every single thing is done with purpose. Unlike modern times, most people were named for a reason, with forethought. Pastor Daniel will teach that God is always looking for people who are interested in following him. And he leaves breadcrumbs for people to pick up and examine, if they're willing to be interested. You'll see that even thousands of years ago, God was telling people that their Redeemer is coming. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 5 as he continues his message, Prelude to the Flood. God asks that we walk with him. And that is where God is pleased. When you and I wake up every day and say, you know, God, I just want to be with you today. I want to walk in your spirit today. God, I want to know you. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and you said, Lord, I don't have a clue what's going to happen right now, but whatever it is, I'm going to walk with you. When was the last time you got to the end of your day and you said, you know what? Well, whatever, Lord, that's what you had for today. It seems simple even to talk that way, but that's the way we should live our lives. I don't know what happened in your life today, but what I do know is that God's with you, whatever's going on today. When was the last time, no matter what your day looked like, you said, Lord, just bear the fruit you want to bear in my life? I don't know why this happened. I don't know why the car broke down. I don't know why I got laid off, God. I don't know why, but you know what? You know why. Bear the fruit in my life. I trust you. I believe in you. That's what walking with God's all about. It doesn't mean it's all easy. It doesn't mean it all rolls smoothly. I love this. Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. Now, by all accounts, it doesn't say how God took him, or why God took him, or in what way God took him, but most people would say that this is an example of some sort of a translation or a rapture. We don't use that word here because it's not in this, but the idea is that we know that God did that with, of course, the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, where the chariot of fire came and separated Elijah from his, I like to call him his Padawan, for those of you who are of the Star Wars fame, Elisha, his young disciple. The chariot of fire came and Elijah was just out of here. We do have a hope that God will do this for his church before the great tribulation period. The fact that God will take his church before that judgment begins. Now people, I don't want to get off on eschatology. It's not the time or the place for that. People always ask me, like, you know, so what do you think about all that stuff? I'm like, look, the best way I can counsel you as a pastor is prepare to go through the tribulation and pray that you won't. 
I say that simply because of this. We don't want to be escapist. We want a hearty faith. We want a faith that says, whatever's going to happen next, Lord, I'm trusting in you. And that's why I say, prepare for it to be post-tribulation. Have a hearty faith that says, no matter what comes, I'm with Jesus and no matter what. So prepare that it's going to be as hard as it's going to be, but pray that it will be a pre-tribulation rapture. And I believe that it will be. But I don't want to let my desire to escape this world keep me from having a robust faith to be God's man in this world. And that's an important word because there's all sorts of Christians who their hope in getting out of here has kept them from really engaging in the work that God has them here for. And whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, if you're still here, God's got a job for you. People always ask me, they say, oh, Pastor Daniel, are you going to do a prophecy update? And I always have the same one. It's simply this. Jesus ain't back yet, so we got work to do. <laughs> That's my favorite prophecy update right there. You can take that one to the bank. Jesus hasn't come back yet, so we got work to do. We'll keep worshiping him, serving the world in Jesus' name. And I'll say that every single day until he comes back. And then when he comes back, I'll say, guess what? Jesus is back. I'm home. Amen. Amen. You could clap. That's good. Yeah. Enoch walked with the Lord and was not, for God took him. But then it continues in verse 25. Methuselah lived 187 years. He begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years, had a son, and he called his name Noah. Now, I'm going to stop there, because I want to make a point about this, and I skipped over this on purpose. Now, if you were to take every single one of these names of these 10 generations, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah, if you were to take all those names, and you would go to a Hebrew dictionary, and you were to translate their names, what they actually mean, you find this, Adam, Noah, I'll just do it this way, rather than because you're all going to try and scribble this down. If you take each name in order and you translate it, this is what the sentence comes out to. If you just take the 10 names, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah, you take their translations and it comes out to this. Man, if you can insert an is in there, or man appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Oh, right? Because Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Canaan means sorrow, Mahalel either means the blessed God or the praise of God, Jared means shall come down, Enoch means teaching, Mahalel means his death shall bring, Lamech means despairing, and Noah means comfort or rest. I'll read that again. Man appointed mortal sorrow. The praise of God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring despairing comfort. Oh, that's a pretty mighty list of names now, isn't it? That's powerful. That's powerful. Right in a list of names, translated out, you get the gospel. Man is appointed mortal death and sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort. That's the gospel right there. Right in the list of names. You'd, you'd never notice it unless you noticed it. 
And they say, God, thank you for that list of names. Hallelujah. Right there. Now, Lamech here, it says, he called his name Noah, saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work in the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So we get this guy Noah, and it stops here because the reality is, of course, is that Noah's the next major character who we're going to see. Lamech names him Comfort because he's going to comfort them concerning their work and their toil of their hands. This has something to do with the curse that had just been levied on the people. Now, in verse 30, it says this, After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we have Lamech dies, and now we end with Noah and his three sons, where these four guys, Noah and his three sons, are going to be the characters of the next section of the book of Genesis. Now, I want to go a little bit into Genesis chapter 6 because this is really where we start seeing the setup for the flood. And this gets very confusing. I'm going to try and do my best pretty quickly to go through this with you. But it says this in Genesis 6 verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, there have been libraries written on what is going on in the first two verses here of Genesis chapter 6. We realize that there's a multiplication of people on the earth, and you can imagine people living to be 900 years old and having sons and daughters, that that would make sense. Their sons and daughters would have sons and daughters, and then boom, there's people everywhere. But then in verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, this whole thing is very complicated and the reality is is that there are some people who want to say that the sons of God are some sort of fallen angels or angels who have now decided to marry human women. There's a whole school of thought that holds to that. A whole other school say the sons of God, of course, were the descendants of the godly line, and the daughters of men were the descendants of the ungodly lines, and a lot of different things in between, and you guys know how I'm going to answer this. I don't know what the answer to this is. It's a strange thing to say the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and took them as wives for themselves of all whom they chose. It's a weird thing to say, because that's what people were doing. Men were seeing women, they were thinking that they were beautiful, and they were getting married, and they were having kids. 
I mean, that was one of the first commandments, be fruitful and multiply. And so they were doing it. So the fact that it comes up, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now, we know that that phrase, the sons of God, show up in Job chapter 1, where it says, now there was a day when sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So there was a strong tradition that this was the sons of God. The idea was the angelic realm. Even in the Greek translation, what that we call the Septuagint of the Old Testament, they translated the sons of God as angels. So for the people who did this translation, they saw this as some sort of a mixing of the angelic realm with the human realm. But again, I don't want to press the text. You guys have heard me say this before. When the text is silent, we need to be also. We have to be careful not to press things into the text. But it is unique that they would bring this up. And then in verse 3, it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, what this means here is that God's judgment is being declared. His judgment is being declared. This idea, my spirit will not strive with man forever, that word strive, it also means to put the sword back into its holder or its sheath, and which is kind of interesting because I was thinking about this, and we know we have the bow of the knee dress rehearsal, and folks are out there with Roman gear on with swords, and I'm like, oh, yeah. When you put your sword away, you're not striving anymore. It's the same word picture there. So the idea here is that God is ready to judge, but yet in his mercy, he says, yet his days shall be 120 years. So from this point, 120 years, and then God's judgment is going to happen. Now, in verse 4, again, we get more things. It says this, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. So you come back to this. You have this idea that there's these giants in the Hebrew. It's the Nephilim, which means the mighty ones or the fallen ones. So a lot of people hold very strongly that this is fallen angels who you can read about in Jude and some other places. Some people would say that these are who they are. The reality here is that there are giants in the land. There's these Nephilim who were there. And then when the sons of God and the daughters of men began having children. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. What does it mean, the mighty men of old, men of renown? Famous ones? That's why people struggle with this. And there's a lot of scholars who I respect, very smart people who, I mean, literally, you can read volumes on this. And what I always come back to is we just don't know. We just know that something is happening here that God is trying to put into our hearts. But for me, it really has nothing to do with the offspring. It has to do with the fact that God is struggling maintaining humanity. Not because he can't maintain it, because of what humanity has become. Look at what happens. Verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. Wow in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So you think about this. God created Adam and Eve in the garden. They chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're banished from the garden. Then their children, Cain and Abel, 
By the time you get to Cain's offspring, Lamech, he's killed somebody. And now we get to this point where something is going on and the human heart is just evil. Every motivation of the human heart is evil. This is the warping of the image of God in full bloom. And that's why it says in places like Jeremiah, where it says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says, I, the Lord of hosts, search the heart. I know the mind. See, this is the reality. This is why people who walk with God for the longest are the most humble. This is why. Because if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you will realize how the motivations and the intentions of your heart, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, are just wicked. Wicked. And the people who've been walking the closest with God the longest are the people who trust in his grace more than anybody. Because they're under no illusions that they have become righteous in themselves. I mean, let's be honest. If you really do and let the Holy Spirit do the heart work of sanctification in you, isn't it like peeling back an onion? It's like, yeah, you know, I used to cuss a whole lot. Now I don't do that anymore. But now I just, I don't say it, but I think it. And then you start working on that. And then once the heart cussing goes away, then there's the pride. And then once that, you get the pride kind of worked out if that ever actually gets worked out. You know, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I'm really covetous. Man, I'm really judgmental. Man, I'm a Pharisee. See, the beauty of walking with Jesus is that the Spirit of God keeps peeling back that onion for us. And we get to a point where we say, Lord, I just need you. Lord, who am I to, you know, you don't have to go and say, hey, listen, take that plank out of your eye because the Holy Spirit's showing you that you got a lumber yard in your own eye. So you want to go deal with someone's speck, and you're like, look, I am a lumber factory. These eyes... You know, I'm nobody. I just want, I love you enough just to talk to you about this, but I'm nobody. See, what happens within the church oftentimes is that we realize that we've been forgiven, but we never let the Spirit do the heart work, and so we become puffed up, proud. We're looking down our noses at everybody. We're saying, oh, so-and-so, so unrighteous. When really, the Spirit of God is saying, so are you, but God still loves you. See, What is the most amazing about who God is, is that God sees our hearts totally naked, all that's in there, not only the actions and the thoughts, but the motivations and the intentions, and he sees how wicked it all is, and yet he still loves us. And that is why the fruit of the Spirit is love, because if God can love us with all of the garbage that's in our hearts, how can we not love other people? How can we look down and judge people who aren't getting it done when our whole lives are radically dependent on the grace of God? Each one of us, we come, we say, Lord, I need you. I mean, do we realize that we need the gospel as much today as on the day that we first gave our lives to Jesus? We need God's grace as much right now as on the day that we got saved. It's not like, well, I needed his grace in the beginning, and now I got it done on my own. No, every day we say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm kind of nasty. And nobody knows the half of it. Now, I had someone just recently say, oh, Pastor Daniel, you know, your walk with Jesus just must be amazing. I mean, you know, you're such a holy guy. And I'm like, man, I just need Jesus. I'm like, listen, yeah, maybe except for my dreadlocks, I don't do a lot of things I shouldn't do. 
But the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit shines a light on my heart, and I'm just like, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. We never leave that spot, the best place, the prime real estate is the dust at the foot of the cross. That's our prime real estate as Christians. Every day we just show up, amen, you can clap, yeah. I'll meet you guys there, you know, it's just like at the foot of the cross saying, Lord, every intention of my heart is wicked. I do good things for the wrong reasons. I do bad things and I know it. Lord, everybody thinks I'm doing such a great job, but Lord, I'm just messy on the inside, and you love me still. And if ever we forget that, we need to ask God for the grace, for the eyes of faith, to simply look at the cross. Because right there, we see why Jesus died. The Jews didn't kill him. The Romans didn't kill him. We killed him. Because God knew that we were wicked. And he says this here. The Lord said, I'm going to destroy man, verse 7, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and the bird of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then verse 8, one three-letter word shatters all this dreariness, but. I love that word in the Bible. My favorite biblical word is the word but. Exactly. You guys are giggling because you have dirty minds. All this judgment, but Noah found grace in the eye. First usage of the word grace is right there. God is going to judge and condemn the world, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And my prayer for us as a church is that Crossroads will always be known as a church that has found grace that we realize that we are never, ever saved by our works. We're never saved by how much our life has been cleaned up. We're never saved by what we do or how good we do. But we come and we say we are simply people who receive the grace that God offers for us in Jesus. And all of our value as humans we get from this simple grace. People always say, what's the best definition of grace? Here it is, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the best definition of grace. I know most people say unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. No, I don't like that because it doesn't mention Jesus. How can you talk about grace without Jesus? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. All that God wants to be and is for humanity at the expense of Jesus. Jesus got the cross so we can get God and all that God is for us. That's grace. And I don't know about you guys, but when I hear about that grace, I just want to praise the Lord. Jesus is real. So who were the sons of God spoken about in this passage of scripture? As Pastor Daniel shared, the Bible isn't clear about that. What is clear, though, is that their involvement with human women helped God to make the decision to end mankind. As has always been the case throughout history, there was someone who was faithful to God, willing to not only trust His Word, but to obey through action when given instructions. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you 
you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues on in Genesis chapter 6 with his teaching called The Flood Part 1. He'll share as the Bible starts to focus on Noah and his family and how God calls Noah to do something that had never been done before. Pastor Daniel will share about God's observation of the vast majority of mankind and how they'd given themselves completely over to evil. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.